Hello friends, and welcome to episode 28 of the Kindness Rebellion. In this episode, I spoke with Tom King. Uh, Tom and his wife, Dee, have been some of the primary caretakers of the Ogwai People's Garden and Orchard. Uh, I found out about this garden after going to a community activist group meeting, um, the one ran by Ray Duckworth, who is uh, also on this uh, season. And while we were there, they were talking about how there was this community garden that was being threatened or was threatened to be shut down by the state. And uh, I felt like that was just such a, a radical, like amazing thing. And I was like, I need to know about this. I need to go and figure out more about this garden. And so I went on their Earth Day event to clean up the Jordan River. And at this event, they were also giving out um, like free plants and things like that. And while I was there, I met Tom and it was so clear to me after only talking to him for a little bit that Tom is a revolutionary. He's a, a radical. And there's a reason that he is, him and his wife have been so focused on maintaining such a beautiful movement like the community garden, which is, uh, in Tom's words, meant to preserve the web of life. Uh, and just in a few short minutes of talking with Tom, he was discussing the uh, dominant economic paradigm and uh, and just getting into the nitty gritty of like deep economic issues, which is like what I'm all about. So. Um, I was like, hey, this is amazing. Can I get your number, please? And so I got his number. Later on, my friend Porter and I um, had gone to actually collect surveys on the Ogwai People's Garden to gauge community interest. And it was after, um, after that that I was able to get Tom on the podcast. I really hope you'll enjoy this conversation and enjoy these uh, photos that I've been um, placing over this intro that were taken by D of the garden. Um, it is a beautiful, beautiful movement and something that I really, really want to see us replicate as we move forward in these uh, in these crazy times. Being able to work together to cultivate our basic necessities and preserve the web of life is a necessary part of the systemic change that we're looking to build. Um, so make sure to like, share, and subscribe and comment on this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much. This is a podcast about rejecting tyranny and oppression by cultivating both systemic and individual change. I believe the only way to create this kind of monumental change is to inspire understanding, love, and kindness. From there, we can work to embody these essential values in our cultural systems and in our individual lives. My hope is that by effectively communicating with anyone and everyone, we can establish a shared vision for humanity and explore new ways of living to build a better world for all of us. I'm your host, Nathan Jones, and this is The Kindness Rebellion. Tom, thank you so much for uh, joining me on The Kindness Rebellion. I really appreciate you uh, having me in your beautiful home, uh, right next to the garden here, the Ogwai People's Garden and Orchard. Um, just This has been an awesome opportunity to get to know you and the community a little bit, and so I just really appreciate you being willing to come onto the podcast. Thank you so much. Well, you're quite welcome, and I also am in a state of gratitude for the opportunity to do so, to be on your program and... Awesome. Yeah, I'm thankful. That's a good thing. That's that's very nice. I'm glad. I'm glad you uh, you, you seemed pretty excited and everything, and uh, and that honestly meant a lot to me. Especially just kind of, it was it was really cool that day. I came I came on um, Earth Day, 
to the garden for the first time. You guys were just having like a, an event where you're giving out some free plants, just kind of getting to know people and everything like that. And I had an, uh, an opportunity to just sit and talk with you for a little bit. And uh, I loved how after not too long, we started talking about, uh, in your words, the dominant economic paradigm. And uh, right off the bat, I knew that you were someone I wanted to talk to more often. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I like to refer to the what is the dominant economic paradigm on this planet that I live on. Uh, but in that way, uh, I did learn from you. And a subsequent, I think the other time we talked, mm -hmm. the, uh, the words uh, transactional reciprocity and the corollary of uh, systemic reciprocity. Mm -hmm. And I thought... That transactional reciprocity is good descriptive words for what the dominant economic paradigm consists of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was a term I actually got from uh, the Moneyless Society from uh, Matthew Holton and his book, Moneyless Society. Um, and it totally it totally woke me up to that concept. And, and the way that we got to that discussion, from what I remember, is just how you were talking about how we need more systems that are uh, built upon what is what is it you say? I think sharing and caring, as opposed to uh, extraction and exploitation, and um, that is exactly what I am trying to embody here, and, and that is what I believe you are most certainly embodying with uh, with the garden and all of your efforts that you make within the community. So I I really appreciate your work. Yeah, you know that means a lot to me, Nathan, to hear you say that. Uh, I do. You know, I, I like to think of myself as a, a critical thinker who comes to his own conclusions based on observation and analysis and then, you know, deduction. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've come to, to think it's good and important to work to um, engage in dynamics of more systemic reciprocity and engage less, uh, especially if possible. I have to qualify that in that non, not in the transactional reciprocity mm -hmm. arena. Uh, and then one of the reasons I'm very grateful for the opportunity is because I think it's a good way to live with the world, to have the mindset of, of uh, the world is a gift, our lives mm. are gifts, and, and you know, get more freedom. Uh, I think it's more valuable to the web of life. And if, if those ideas can be... Uh, replicated in other people, mm -hmm. then one of the ways that happens is through mediums such as podcasts. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity, you know, this seems valuable to an, a, a set of objectives I have. That's that's why I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. That's amazing. And I actually really like what you kind of mentioned briefly there, just that... Uh, that um, the value of like the gift and especially in terms of a, a new type of economic system where we want to, you know, focus uh, or incentivize sharing and caring. I think um, the kind of that central principle would really be the gift. And I think that um, that the garden really embodies that idea. I mean, I came up and I was able to get free seeds. Uh, I was able to get free plants that we could. Uh, I, th I got the um, the Nicotiana. Uh, oh, it was the one that's supposed to get really, really big. Tobacco. Yeah, tobacco nicotiana. That's right. And then the and I got a sage plant as well. And it was just uh, it's really cool to be able to come and and get that. And also a lot of the things that you share here is like knowledge um, on gardening and on plants and uh, 
and as I as I've heard you describe it before, the the web of life. Um, can you kind of tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Um, yeah. yeah. So, I I think a lot, and I was thinking, you know, what I do as a volunteer can be thought of as community service. Mm. Well, one thought always leads to the rising of others, and I thought, well. What community am I doing this for? Is it for the immediate neighborhood? And you know, I, I mold that over in my mind. <clears throat> this was, you know, sometime in the past, <clears throat> and I realized there's one community that I am absolutely certain I am one of the members of that community, and that is a very broad community. And I think of it as the web of life, or all that is living in an interdependent dynamic to preserve the life support systems that keeps all that is living able to live. Uh, It's shorthand is to call it the web Mm. of life because it is interdependent and and it's a dynamic that maintains the roughly 20% oxygen content of the atmosphere. Uh, It makes all the food for organisms that eat, the whole dynamic of life creates that. And it, it doesn't have a quid pro quo economy so much as a more, more systemic reci- reciprocity. And, mm-hmm. and it just is. It's, yeah. it's what exists, and it's free and wonderful, uh, the world, that is, and mm-hmm. the life on it. So, yeah, that's my community. And you know, it's it's not just to be facetious. It's that I, I don't really fit into uh, any very well into any specific community. I mean, I I fit better in this immediate geographical community than I did where there was less diversity. Mm-hmm. But anyway, and the human community has always seemed narrow and short-sighted to only give consideration to the human community mm-hmm. because the humans have developed so much power through things that they've learned how to do and manipulating the environment, <clears throat> the world, with tools, mm-hmm. that they, there's never enough thought, in my opinion, at this point in time, to all of the other organisms that make up this web of life. Yeah. So I've, I've been thinking for well over a decade that somebody needs to say something about the welfare of the ecosystems. I mean, they have been, but I mean, actually represent for the plants and mm-hmm. and everything that's not human. So, uh, yeah, so I like to, I, I just, when people say, this is important for all people, I say, well, but, but is it going to hurt the rest of the web, mm-hmm. right? And anyway, I just think that's that's a mindset I want to have is to have consideration not just for me, not just for my species, mm-hmm. but for the whole the whole ball of wax. Yeah. That, that it doesn't hang together without the whole ball of wax. Yeah. And it's absolutely necessary because we're a part of that web of life. Right. Like, and and a lot of people I think they aren't consciously living and being in the fact that they are an animal that mm-hmm. lives on this in this dynamic and you we're just one kind of animal and animals only one kind of life and in animal you got your big families of insect and reptile and mammal we're in that little subfamily of animal but yeah there's so much more there's so much more that uh that 
orchestrates that entire web that you're talking about. And, uh, and I think that one of the, one of the other things that really, um, fascinated me about the garden is that, uh, a lot of the, you know, gardening, and I guess you could say like farming principles are, uh, really inspired through indigenous wisdom and indigenous teachings. Isn't that correct? Well, you know, I can't speak with authority on that. Mm. I think some of the the mindset is in close alignment with some of the mindsets, you know, as as regards ownership of property, mm-hmm. you know, that that belongs to the public. Mm-hmm. And so whoever works there just is giving their gift of work. I like to think it a gift of love that was some sweat. Mm-hmm. Uh that's how I look at it for the work I do there. Yeah. Uh, knowing that they won't necessarily be the one who gets all the fruit or even a divided share mm-hmm. between those who helped it grow, it's being offered up to the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a good thing for humans to engage in something. It's kind of like I've been doing this plant share project for a few years, mm-hmm. but until this is the third year we took away the word sale. Gotcha. It was a plant sale, but it was really the same dynamic except for because we we donate them to people if they, you know, were strapped, but now we just don't sell them. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I thought was a good lesson for people to practice was if get some milkweed seeds to start, mm. which as probably most people know, that's the only source of food for the monarch butterfly larva. So their life cycle cannot keep going unless there are milkweed plants wow. for their babies to eat. So people wanted these, and they were the first plant. We started giving away seeds maybe five years ago, mm-hmm. but then maybe four years ago we started giving away milkweed plants. And it always made my heart happy to have people want them because that showed that they were willing to engage in the practice of doing something for one of the other classes of organism yeah. that wasn't even human. Yeah. And so that dynamic, I could see that, and, and that, that's why I thought it was really worthwhile to go to the extra uh, expenditure of the financial resource that I got to allocate, how mm-hmm. it got spent for the soil and containers and time and such to do the transplanting from the human resource. That's where the time, that's all volunteer. Yeah. So... Yeah, money's, you know, we want to keep it in short supply for our project because, you know, we just need enough to implement them, to get yeah, the program to going. to do the actual thing that you want right. to be doing. Right, but it's all volunteer-based, so. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's uh, And it's fun, but it only can be fun for folks who are in the fortunate, privileged position I'm in where I have enough. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not rich. I've got a credit card debt that's 10 times what I got in the bank, mm-hmm. right? But that's okay. Yeah. It ain't everything to me, and being able to be cavalier about money's not everything is only a thing that somebody who has found that they have enough can do. Yeah, exactly. And I'm aware of that. And and you've been able to establish a, I mean, I think a, a staple, from what I understand, a staple of this community that is that really embodies that principle because you are setting up this space where people can come and learn for free, where people can come and experience the the uh the joy of gardening and 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 uh, just engaging with the natural world and then even giving away uh the the fruits of that labor um because that's uh that's also what you do with your uh, dirt to table initiatives as well right. is that right that, that's the plant share project mm-hmm. and so dirt to table we've decided to uh, structure it 
and call it, you know, uh, semantically structure it as a program of Blue Sky Institute, which is a 501c3 educational nonprofit that mm-hmm. I helped found in 2001. Nice. My wife and I, and we brought others in to form a full board. And uh, yeah, so we've had this 501c3, so we can allow, if people want to contribute to programming, educational programming, and kind of our mission is to design and implement innovative educational programs mm. for the... Ed- we started it with this uh, slogan lifted from the Freemasons called for the advance... that goes, for the advancement of the welfare of the human race. Mm. But then our outlook became broader. And so now our little summary tagline for the organization is providing excellent, you know, education for the advancement of the welfare of all life. Mm, nice. So, yeah, that's the uh, that's the mission. And, yeah, we don't process a lot of money for our programs that we manage directly. So Nice. That's what's needed, I think. And uh, and I think I kind of want to back up a little bit okay. and uh, and kind of just get a an overview on the, the Ogwai Garden and uh, kind of what, as well as the Dirt's Table, like what what is it that made you want to start these initiatives? Um, what were some of the challenges that you ran into and what are some of the uh, maybe unexpected benefits that you got from okay. these? Okay. Well, the Dirt to t- I'll start with the Dirt to Table program because mm-hmm. it helped put me in a position that when this opportunity to start the Ogwai actually manifested in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't, in my opinion, from my perspective, it wasn't me who initiated it. Mm. Okay. So the Dirt to Table program evolved from a little plant sale project of a group at a school, a charter school that I was a building manager for, you know, take care of the yard and the building. Uh, kind of guy, yeah. you know, maintenance. Uh, I, I got to hire and manage a small custodial crew, mm-hmm. and most of that consisted of the high school-age students, uh, except for one guy who came in four hours a night to clean the hard surfaces mm-hmm. and fixtures. But yeah, uh, anyway, the project evolved because I thought it was a good idea when I found out how fun and easy it was to get a lot of tomato plants mm-hmm. from just a little packet of seeds I had it in my mind, I guess, because I'm, you know, I've been described as a bleeding heart, and I don't <laughs> mind that. That it would be better for the for my community. I hadn't really formulated it that my community, but I thought the environment, you know, and I was still a little separated from the web mm-hmm. then, then more so then than I am now. Mm-hmm. I feel more part of it now, but <clears throat> that's a mindset thing. Yeah, but the. Uh, the core concept was this is beneficial because for every tomato that a person helps the plant grow so it grows the tomato, then they just walk in their backyard and pick the really perfect tomato to make a tomato sandwich, mm-hmm. that there is zero carbon footprint mm. vis-a-vis when they get into their car and drive to the grocery store and purchase a tomato that has a big carbon footprint before they drove to the store to get it mm-hmm. because it was grown far away. It was grown using industrial agriculture methodologies that are fossil fuel intensive. Mm-hmm. And so it's got a pretty hefty carbon footprint in that one tomato. And since I you know, have known 
I've believed the science for some time mm-hmm. that that it's not a good idea to keep adding greenhouse gases to the atmosphere of the planet that's our life support system at the same time that it's our natural resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that I just thought that in itself was worthwhile and it had the ancillary benefits of being a fun activity that's good for people to engage in. Mm-hmm. Pe- gardeners are more happy people than people who don't garden. I don't know if you've noticed, but that's been what I've noticed. That. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it and there's some study said that there was microbes in the soil that had a, like psychoactive, some kind of a, you know, interacted with our brain chemistry huh. and made us more happy if we had our hands in the dirt. I don't know if that's real or what, because I'm, I'm always a skeptic. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said for that interaction with nature, that relationship with nature. I've, I've talked to so many people who, who will say that like, um, working in a garden has been some of the most, like one of the most peaceful times of their life and can just be like such a, such a vastly important part of their life. Um, and so it's easy for me to believe that, uh, gardening will make you a lot happier. <laughs> yeah. I think it, rather than brain chemicals from microbes, it's more that, you know, it ties into the, there was a study, a Ted talk called rats, rat park. And mm, the study okay. found that Rats didn't get hooked on heroin if they had plenty to do that was yeah. fun, like rats normally have in mm-hmm. their in- natural environment, and rather than in a little cage. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and the, the, the summary was that the opposite of addiction is not abstinence. The opposite of addiction is connection. Mm. And so I think the connection, another way to look at that is like relationship. Mm-hmm. And so if you're tending a garden of plants that have the magic qualities of making delicious tomatoes and fiery hot peppers and, and things like that, these plants, you form a relationship with them. And mm-hmm. The having of a relationship, a giving, loving relationship, is it makes people happy the more connected they are. Mm-hmm. And so the more connected that an organism is to its environment, and the rats are the same as us. We're the same as the rats on that level in mm-hmm. the rat park experiment. Yeah. That if we've got lots to do, a lot of relationship then we're less in need of uh, uh, substance abuse and yeah, addiction. Like stub- yeah, and not just substance abuse, kind of addiction. There's other addictions, right, yeah. that aren't involving substance abuse. Yeah. And so, yeah, so Pretty much any I kind think of that a... that's kind of cool that that's one of the aspects of gardening is it gets more, it broadens the depth of relationship that the individual can have with other organisms. Mm-hmm. 100%. You watch them grow. You see how they're doing. You care about them. Yeah. And I think that you, you hit right the nail right on the head where um, you're talking about how we really we really crave connection. That is, uh, that's definitely something that I'm trying to curate with, uh, with the Kindness Rebellion is about, you know, cre- creating connection through understanding love and kindness. And I think that um, the connection with like uh, a lot of the things I talk about is like a connection with ourself and connection with others. But then another thing is just connection with the world and the, the, the living planet, which is uh, really what I feel like you've been, uh, been able to, to provide for people. And uh, I think it's a, it's a beautiful experience. And uh, it sounds like that's kind of some of the, some of the benefits that you've gotten from this project. What are some of the, uh, maybe what is, what are some of the challenges that you've run into? Oh, well, the, the, the biggest challenge, uh, I did get it out of the way that I didn't start the Ogwai People's Orchard. Mm-hmm. It, I did not initiate it. 
it's not entirely my responsibility. I've played a, a fairly big role. Yeah. It's essentially in your backyard. Other right? people, yeah, it's, it's just over the fence. And like I told the person who came to me with the idea of planting fruit trees on public land without permission as an act of civil disobedience to bring attention to the climate crisis nice. back in 2020, mm -hmm. that seemed like a good idea to me to do in the public land that's right behind on the other side of the fence of what everybody will agree because of legal things that people have made up that it's, it's your my property. yard. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, this little piece of planet Earth has a fence around it, which the, all the houses and yards in the neighborhood do. Mm -hmm. And there's one fence the city put up to separate it from the ground that they owned, mm -hmm. right? Which is publicly owned, right? Managed by the, well, I think the city's a public entity. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes wonder where their fiduciary uh, or whatever their obligations to the people, to the public, is defined in, and codified. I'd like to get to the root of that at some yeah. point because I think in some cases they aren't doing the best job of representing the public interest with the public resources. Yeah. And, and I'd like to get into the root of, of what empowers them to be a public entity and own ground mm -hmm. and be able to call it public land yeah. when they own it. And anyway... It, that's something you know for the future. I got to learn. Yeah. Well, and be able to essentially, like, almost like try to stop you from using that land, or try uh, trying to stop these. Uh, into, who was it that started that the planting the the fruit trees as an act of civil disobedience? That was a, a woman named uh, her. She was working with a group called Arm in Arm for Climate. Mm -hmm. I said, "Oh, that's an organization, no a movement." I was told, mm -hmm. but it's it's an organization arm in arm for numeral for climate.org mm -hmm. is the website and they were you know for climate trying to yeah. to do get something done and their concept was it's a good one because historically when i think it's three percent of a population gets behind a popular movement then policy follows that movement mm. and so that was what they were hoping to raise enough attention to get that three percent which is around 11 million people, mm -hmm. they like get in the movement of saving the climate, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They're defending it. So anyway, that that I said I could throw a hose over the fence if it was here rather than other public land, and I could look after the trees because I work in the neighborhood for yeah. my transaction, you know, money-earning job. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and that's how it worked out. But then it it morphed from day one because I think I made the observation the other volunteers were making these holes and amending the soil to plant these trees that mm -hmm. Sharice Udell had brought. She's the one who was working with Arm and Arm for Climate. Oh, okay. And she was one, she was the founder of Utah Moms for Clean Air. She's mm -hmm. a wonderful woman. And it was her idea, and she had the seed money and got the six trees and some materials. And then I had plant leftovers from the plant share that year. Mm -hmm. And so we... Uh, we decided, hey, we'll have food this year if we put some tomatoes in the same area of soil that we have amended. And then somebody else, I think, said, how about if we prepared a big area and amended the soil with some of this compost? We had somebody who was bringing compost, you know, to gift it to the project. And nice. We had lots of compost from the landfill. And so we, we made a bed, and that grew summer squash, and they got big, and lots of pe diverse people that I don't know picked them. And and they were it was a great you know dynamic that first year, but it, it just and it kept evolving. People kept coming back to take it a little further, mm -hmm. make it better, and 
it became a dynamic of community stewardship of public land. Mm. And it wasn't until August 14th, I remember it because I, I put a Facebook post of a guy from the city called and says he wants to give us, make an agreement with us volunteers to make it legit. And it, nice. it's no longer an act of civil disobedience because mm-hmm. this guy who's in charge of the Trails and Open Lands Division, his name was Lewis Cogan. He's not with the City of Public Lands anymore. Mm. But he told me, he got me to work with, uh, anyway, uh, his community organizer, mm-hmm. volunteer coordinator person. But then they they demonstrated, and I started to get experience with the city's employees' culture of non-responsiveness. Mm. It was during a pandemic, and they were having issues, staffing issues. Yeah. So there would be months literally go by between me making an inquiry over email and getting a response. And then, yeah, then there was the morph into the bad part, and that was... Because there was a pandemic going on, the city, in its dispersal of homeless camps, they call it, I like Mm -hmm. to call it, you know, survival shelters of our unsheltered population in our community. Yeah. But that, because that's more accurate. Yeah. But they were following somewhat CDC guidelines. The, The CDC guidelines said put the unsheltered people in shelter. That was, and leave them there in the mm-hmm. shelter. But there wasn't enough shelter. The resources hadn't been allocated. They'd torn down this place called the road home that had a thousand beds. So that the developers, oh no, they, it was, oh, they, no. But yeah, the real reason was so the developers could cash in mm. uh, into that neighborhood and gentrify it up. And uh, yeah, so they didn't have the, so the next step is the CDC says if you can't put them in shelter, don't push them around and make them move from spot to spot in your city. Mm-hmm. So the city government followed that, unless they were in an area where commerce was going on. Then they would drive them away, tell them, no camping, you got to move on. Mm-hmm. And then they, when they found their way out here along the Jordan River Parkway Trail here in northwest Salt Lake, which is a low-median income area. Mm-hmm. So in the more wealthy, more higher-median income areas, it was move along, you bum, there's no camping here. Yeah. But when they, out here for that, a good solid year, maybe 15 months, they let the tent stay. And they, another tent was added, another, another, until there were, it was like a city of tents mm. up and down both sides of the river. Now, there were some apparently rocket scientists living in the neighborhood. I'm saying that with uh, more than <laughs> a, a little, a little bit of, of, of sarcasm, uh, who realized that the reason there was this sudden uptick in all of these campers that left their foul mess of trash and drug needles and all that laying around was because the people organizing and doing the garden and the generous guy donating the water to it uh, had put a hose bib out there. And the guy who was donating the water, it's me, he said to himself, I like it that these people that don't have a water faucet can get them their jug filled up here. I like it that it's 102 degrees and they don't have an air-conditioned building to work in and to go home to like I do, but it's 102 degrees out there. They're in a tent that they'd come and get themselves wet and get turn themselves into evaporative coolers, you yeah. know, which is a technique I use when I'm hot. I yeah. get my shirt wet. <laughs> and in this drier air, it works good. You cool off work longer that way. Yeah. That's usually when I do it, when I have to work in the sun. But yeah, 
it didn't bother me, but it sure enough did bother some of the neighbors. So much, they got riled up. And then there was another dynamic in play, because some of the initial participants in the volunteer pool consisted of some young ideologues, and they decided during the second year, they helped a little as we were getting it rolling, the, the expansion, mm -hmm. more fruit trees and all this. And then they said, well, we, we've decided to use another way. We're going to organize and come up with some community outreach because we think more people from the immediate neighborhood should work in the garden. Mm. And, and, you know, in theory, I agree with that, but one of the harsh realities of our transactional reciprocity system, this dominant economic paradigm, is that since most of the people who live in this part of town are people of color, and most of the good job opportunities aren't available to immigrants, uh, and so they end up with low-wage work and often have to have two jobs, mm. then most of the neighbors who would have an inclination to help they don't have the time because they're yeah, they're the running too hard to get enough resource to support their families. Mm -hmm. And but they they made a flyer and it had more than a little bit of an anti-capitalist tone to it. And when some of the neighbors and they had also been anti-police brutality and they mm -hmm. had up a sign that I thought was great because I think we should have justice for Bernardo. Uh, I think his, I can't remember his last name, but all of the young men of color who have been gunned down by the police, there should be more in the way of justice, and there should be more being done to prevent further iterations of that drama, that all-too-familiar drama, mm -hmm. of that disparity between the people of color, their rate per capita of being killed by police versus the uh, Western European blood, pale skin like mine. And mine. Right. So... I mean, these are realities, and more needs to be done to address them, but I can't address everything. And it but I didn't mind the, the sign out there, but one mm -hmm. of the community members was a retired police officer. I and see. So the implication that the police are not absolutely perfect, he, that was a trigger for him, as, as was the somewhat socialist rhetoric in the handout that was mm -hmm. given, because he came over to the garden, and we had a friend who has found it. He was doing this stuff, but he called it Our Unsheltered Relatives Later. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave John, who he's with Pandos. Oh, and yeah. he was out doing a, a weekly feed where he has the little camp kitchen three burner and gets all the vittles and fixes them up a nice hot meal and gives it to people who don't have a kitchen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, he came over and he found me and he was clutching the three little trifold piece of paper brochure I'm going to call the city attorney on Monday and get this whole thing shut down. That's Anyway, that's how it sounded to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to laugh. Because I didn't take the guy very serious, but apparently him and this other person who I have come to be aware hates my guts, mm. you know, to put it on in plain terms. Yeah. Uh, just they organized. It was mainly the woman who hates my guts who lives around the corner and... They got enough other people to call the city. And then, so in 21, they said, oh, a guy, public relations guy for the city, Luke Allen, comes, approaches me, and, you know, through the electronic means. Mm -hmm. We're going to be putting the agreement process, which had really been stopped, of mm -hmm. getting the memorandum of understanding on hold while we undertake what we should have done in the first place, a process of community engagement. Mm -hmm. So they did that by the end of October. The guy said, it was as you predicted. 
and I would just want to get with, together with you and talk about some conditions, right, mm. of the contract. And we, I, I represent the other sometimes, and sometimes provisionally, mm-hmm. waiting for ratification from the collective of volunteers who have made the decisions on the direction to go with the project. Mm-hmm. I don't run the project. I'm not in charge of it, right? It's collective decision-making process. The people who participate in the giving the gift of love and a little sweat, they can give their input and we come to consensus on what's not going to make anybody unhappy. And yeah. If anybody thinks it's wrong, we talk it through and see if either they change their minds or they change our minds. But if there's one person that thumbs down something in a consensus model, you just don't do that. Mm-hmm. So that's how it's been managed, and, and that's the, my vision. And the other one was they say it's their vision too, that nobody's in charge, mm-hmm. right? Which some people are, are uncomfortable with that dynamic they, because they don't understand it. It's a good way for humans to cooperate with each other. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah, so I guess I'm a little lost now, but, but we got up to there, and then, oh, then they did the soil test, and they found the lead in the benzoapyrene, and then they couldn't think of what to do, but then when they had just come out with their little book of standard operating procedures. For some reason, the director of public lands decided now is the time, after like an eight-month hiatus of communicating with us, Mm -hmm. after telling us they'd get back with us uh, right after June 27th of 2022. Then in spring of this year, we got the letter from the director of public lands saying, take down everything that makes it what it is. Yeah. And like start the over. And right. Mm-hmm. The mural, the kiosk contains two murals. The, we had just built them a week or two before, the two weeks before, we'd built nine raised beds so we could bring in imported soil so you wouldn't have to peel the carrots if you picked them mm-hmm. because they'd be in lead free soil that we sourced commercially and mm-hmm. brought in with, you know, volunteer man hours, human resource, and donated financial resource we obtained these products and put them in the you know built the boxes were about 900 mm-hmm. almost a thousand dollars a piece of wood so expensive and you know and screws and all that and then yeah. the soil was 600 and then we had to tack on another 350 to get it a laboratory analysis done to prove that the commercially sourced soil mix was fine was yeah. was not contaminated even though i mean that's a given that people aren't going to be selling in a city contaminated product yeah anyway it's kind of a nightmare yeah well it's it's the city is it's interesting to hear this because i think um you know where you and i are definitely in alignment on the fact that we want to see more systems like this like that consensus decision making system as well as the sharing and caring systemic reciprocity systems um really what i what i'm so uh eager to kind of understand is like if people want to begin starting these types of projects in their own communities um what kind of advice do you have for them what what uh what things do they need to be aware of and uh what uh, what do you feel like it takes to be able to start these kinds of things well that requires some cogitation to answer Mm. i'm pretty good off the cuff but there's two ways i could go with this You know, it's real obvious to me. I could say, well, don't do like we did and do it without permission first because there's 
then you have to deal with issues that arise from doing it in that way. Mm -hmm. There is the potential of having it eradicated because those who own land have ultimate jurisdiction thereof. Mm -hmm. And so it, but on the other hand, I'm kind of a one who's kind of was raised to question authority. <laughs> and, radical. Yeah, and a little bit of a radical. And, and also I'm a bit of a stu student of history. Mm -hmm. And I know that all fundamental advances in the welfare of humans, uh, you know, and a lot of those stem from living better with the earth, uh, have not come from the status quo. Mm. Pretty much all improvements have come from people doing things a different way than it's we've always done it. Mm -hmm. So that's the way we've always done it. That's always seemed lame to me. Mm -hmm. And because if somebody can think of a better way to do something, why not? I always ask. Yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, I mean, it, I'm very bipolar on this. Yeah. Don't do like we did. Oh, yeah, do like we did, right? Mm -hmm. Just do it. Do it in a Just good do way. It. Do it in an honest, kind, giving way. Mm. Do it with the true intent to give back to your community, not with any, oh, this is going to make me look like I'm a really great guy kind yeah. of, you know, motivations. Because anything like that, I don't think, it, I think you got to truly love the world and the life on it to be willing to give so much of your time and your investment of like of debt of obligation towards uh, doing something as I and others have given and continue to give to the project that's over my shoulder there on the other side of this blind window. <laughs> and through the window, you can see some bushes and kind of see little bits of the Ogwai People's Orchard and Garden Project. Mm -hmm. I'll get some video and pictures for the... Yeah. But so. I love that very, very much. I, I really like... Um, the just the the necessity for that mindset of like kindness and connection and trying to build something better um because then it, it sounds like with that mindset then you can really weather anything so even if it does start from a place of civil dis disobedience then you can at least i think people can feel the the genuine nature of the garden i mean like you know i went around the community here just uh giving out that survey um to just try to gauge interest within the the garden and really i only had two negative comments after we visited maybe 60 homes and that was really cool to see because most people in fact were just like wait we have a garden we have a community garden that's awesome yeah. <laughs> and so like that in effect it just it was showing people that there is another way to do these kinds of things and i think um uh, what what's more important to me is just that you've been able to show that it is possible and uh even if they're even if there are people that want to start it, you know, without civil disobedience, I think coming from that place of like kindness and wanting to build something better for the community can easily help you push through all of the, you know, bureaucratic bullshit. Right. <laughs> now, because we live, you know, as part of the transactional reciprocity, dominant economic paradigm, human beings own the, the lifeboat that they live on you know, mm -hmm. in bits and pieces of private property with titles and deeds. Mm -hmm. Because that's a, a reality we have to deal with, it would be optimal if 
privately owned land could be donated to a co- the community, mm. but not put under the jurisdiction of a municipality or any large bureaucratic organization, mm-hmm. but be having the responsibility and uh, the stewardship of the land, stay with the decisions being made, stay with the community that it was given to, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be treated as public land, but not be meet the exact definition of public land wherein it is owned by a subdivision of human government. It mm-hmm. could be a nonprofit organization that could own the land. So since the internet is vast, and I do not know how many people at podcasts reach, if there's someone out there who has the resource to give land to the community in an urban environment in particular, it is immensely valuable to have community orchards mm. because that is wherein people can engage in the dynamic of giving as an act of love and to build relationship with the community, the plants, each other. And because gifts are just expressions of love or respect. Mm-hmm. If you analyze what a gift is, and it's great. It makes you, the giver feel good. And see, there's all these studies that science has proven, you know, through studies that the giver gets more than they give. But yeah. it's not the reason they give. And that's that's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, advice for others. Uh, if you want to help plants grow, learn what plants, what conditions are optimal for plants and, mm-hmm. and learn a little bit about why learn a little bit about chemistry and soil ph if you can but or or find somebody who's a natural at it you mm-hmm. know because i think that exists people who just have a way with plants yeah they kind of innately know that the kind of conditions plants like like gardening tips plants do best if their roots can be always have uh, evenly moist soil that the roots can grow more into and that it's kept evenly moist around all the roots so that they are all able to perform the function of roots and all the plants that grow tomatoes and other foods, apples, they only do well if their roots are doing well. Mm. So that's, if you learn, if you just bear that in mind, that evenly moist soil, people err sometimes because they water the top and it stays wet the top three inches but they never apply a sufficiency of water over time to get the next three or the three deeper than that so the six inches below the top three inches is too dry for roots to grow into Mm. so then the plant is only growing in a three inch layer and they don't do very well the kind of plants that want to have 18 inches worth of depth on their root Mm -hmm. and so i say plants want almost as if they were like somehow as good as people, and yeah. to me, they are. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think uh, I think that there's so much that people want to learn um, and kind of understand in terms of like, you know, working with plants and understanding. I think that's another just like heartbreaking thing about what this uh, economic system has done to us is that it is really re- it has removed that knowledge from us in a lot of ways and so you have to like actively seek it out in order to begin learning it. it's not like um, you know I wasn't really taught how to grow plants uh, in school or how to grow food by by any means it was more you know math and science and history and so it's 
it's interesting how many how many people don't understand these um, kind of basic concepts and how it almost seems like the system is incentivized to keep us from knowing those things and it right. seems like a radical act in some ways well th there is you know it is radical because there are uh, some people who uh, i guess one of the, maybe in a little while ago maybe it's not still common parlance but they make bank off of the commodification of uh, a requirement of animals, which mm -hmm. is the feed, right? Mm -hmm. And we're, as humans, we're animals. And so they've commodified our food. And they, because it's kept that way and enforced sometimes with the iron fist of the Defense Department, the commodification of food. Mm -hmm. And I think that I agree with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the resolution. It was brought up in the United Nations, and it was an American first lady who was one of the spearheads on getting it, this declaration of universal human rights, the four basics, shelter, food, health care, education, mm. four basic human rights. And I think that that's how it ought to be. Yeah. For, and, yeah, there's a lot of reasons I don't like the monetization and commodification of the world but mostly because it's unfair to so many. Mm. And I mean, and it's, un, it's also unfair to a, a very few, but uh, they like it that way because a lot of money is power and mm -hmm. people, they get off on being powerful. Yeah. It gives them a, a sense of self-worth that... And freedom. Maybe sick. Oh, and freedom, yeah. If you have enough financial resource, you can travel anywhere and do anything. Mm -hmm. You own everything. Right. So, but it seems unfair to, to engage in that lifestyle to me. And I wouldn't do that when there's people living in tents with drug habits and the traumas that made them get the drug habits. So mm -hmm. two levels of mental illness and it's being left untreated and they're being left in squalor mm -hmm. by our society. Because, and I think it's because of the dragon hordes, of the piles of gold that these dragons sit on. Mm -hmm. And just sit on them because, hey, look what I got, you know? Yeah. And it's a sickness in my mind that needs to be put in the DSM called malignant greed. <laughs> the the intense, intense desire to continue acquiring more resource, more resource, mm -hmm. even after you got a million times enough. And, yeah, there ought to be laws against that, like maximum wage laws, but there ain't yet. Yeah, exactly. I, this kind of brings me to a, a, que a big question that I had for you, okay. which was just kind of like uh, if you believe that the ideals of uh, capitalism can even be defeated, like with how entrenched we are in this monetization system, you know, like you even said earlier, where, you know, we, we have to deal with the laws or the, you know, the customs of private property laws and everything like that. Um, I guess I'm curious to hear if you believe that there is a way out of these ideals of greed and extraction and exploitation. Well, Nathan, a lot of the time my mind either goes to the lyrics of songs or to old colloquialisms. Mm -hmm. And there's one... It's fitting for what I'm going to tell you, and that is hope springs eternal. Mm. And I'm awful glad it does, because if I lost hope, then all I would be able to perceive is the bleak, likely outcome 
or the web of life that I see as being most likely, and that is that the dominant economic paradigm, the taste of the name of which I found foul in my mouth, and, it, and that's for a good reason, because it can serve to alienate potential allies mm -hmm. in defending the web. And so, but that malignant greed, I think that it needs to be criminalized in the same way that another human nature trait, which uh, is, you know, that male animals are find attractive in a reproductive way, younger female animals, and that's, that's kind of hardwired in the biology. Mm -hmm. It's also being reinforced through the media. Mm -hmm. through but, the culture. but we don't permit people to engage in reproductive activities when there's a huge age disparity. We call that pedophilia. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot that you are a criminal if you engage in that. And I'd like to see malignant greed on the same <laughs> on playing the same field with, with pedophilia or whatever. I, yeah, I agree. Because I think the one is bad for the specific individuals involved. The other is bad for the entire society of mm -hmm. people. Especially when it's embedded into the entire system that right, we're all buying into. Right. And so as whether I see hope, of course I do, because otherwise I wouldn't be here anymore, right? I'd yeah. have to just checked out if mm -hmm. I had lost hope. Yeah. I'm thankful it springs eternal. And it's my hope that one avenue that might eventually i don't expect to live to see it because i'm getting a little old and but i want to see a glimmer of it is that system systems uh, employing the model of systemic reciprocity systems in which and we'll call them subsystems people can engage and be productive and feel good about being productive through inter just in the arena of interactions with other organisms mm -hmm. that we work with to have our sustenance and, and our textiles and our ale, mm -hmm. et cetera, yeah. uh, which is not an essential sustenance. But, you know, it, especially in this society, it doesn't hurt to have a little of, of ale <laughs> it sure does now help, and yeah. again, <laughs> at least not me. It, it can hurt some. But, yeah, I, I think that, that there. that's why I, do, I continue to pretty much stay jumped in with both feet in a model of one set of dynamics that are outside of the realm of the dominant economic paradigm, mm. but in a way that maybe will go under the radar until it has caught on enough that it can eventually grow side by side kind of with the dominant economic paradigm, not a barter system because it not like decommodifying food mm. would be a good thing for the humans who care about the web to focus on, in my opinion. Mm, I agree. Others might have other opinions, but just if we could decommodify food in a larger and larger way, then that would take some of the power in terms of revenues in the, that transactional mm -hmm. system away from those who wield that power in order to more make it more profitable to continue in the commodification of mm -hmm. the world, the monetization of everything. Yeah. And so the more that we can engage in these processes where you can say, I don't need that system. Mm -hmm. I can 
engage in feeling productive and useful and helpful, and there can be returns mm -hmm. that don't fall into that system, that game, then the more iterations of that, the higher the potential that we can get out from under the dominant economic paradigms, imminent destruction of the, not the entire web of life, but a significant enough subsection that the planet's life support system would no longer support large mammals. Yeah, especially not us. Right. And part of me, you know, the cynical part says, well, it might just be for the best. <laughs> be, all Life, she would be evolving back up diversity eventually. Yeah. She's already done it. Mm -hmm. And so geological perspective gave time scale gave me a lot of solace as I was young in junior high when I was still in school before I dropped out mm. that in the eighth grade that uh, the geological time scale way of thinking about it made me think it wasn't to the earth it wasn't that big of a deal if the humans made a stinky mess out of it from pollution because if they made it too bad they would, you know, natural selection would eliminate the species from the planet, and then it would re-evolve a complex diversity of life mm -hmm. again. And so that, but that's kind of nihilistic, and that's why I think it's better to love all the web, even the silly humans. Uh, I do my best. I have to struggle with yeah. some. But <laughs> since hate won't overcome hate, at least that's what a lot of smart people have said. I think yeah. they must be right, so I'm going to say it too. Yeah. But uh, the, I, I figure I'm going to try to manifest love even for the haters. Mm -hmm. Keep loving the world. Keep loving my species. Keep loving those aspects of the cultures that I'm familiar with that are lovable aspects. Art, you know, mm -hmm. all the arts, they're they're lovable the kindness and compassion that exist in our species, the good traits, the noble qualities, the generosity, the mm -hmm. valor, the bravery, you know, especially when it's manifested on behalf of others, mm -hmm. all these good traits, I'm going to just celebrate them, try to embody them, and try to hope that I'm a good model for others and that, that when they see how effing happy I am, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I am that they'll want to be happy. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they'll let go of the transactional a little bit and realize that if they're as fortunate as I am, and I have worked hard, I've, I've wired a lot of commercial buildings, built a lot of value by installing electrical systems, you know, power and lighting distribution and switching in big commercial buildings and institutions and big box stores. You know, that's how I earn my living, mm -hmm. creating value. And I, anyway, I don't know how I got off on that tangent. But I just think that I do have enough, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I always like to mention that because I'm cognizant that, like I talked to this guy who makes signs, and he said, when I, I, I rattled off some of my philosophy and how I'm all proud and happy, and I'm more happy because I don't care that much about money, but only because I don't have enough, because I, I'm not lacking mm -hmm. for my food. You know, I have food here. Yeah, I can get food whenever I want because... I, yeah, I, uh, he told me, well, I'm still young, and I was trying to earn enough to buy a house, and then I had to invest the money back into more sign-making equipment because the cost of houses had gone up. <laughs> From the target date I had to get a house came, and I didn't money that I had the target money, but it wasn't enough anymore. 
Wow. Right? Yeah. And I know that's the way it is. And that's that's one just on basic principles I question the validity of human beings owning as individual, you know, transitory human beings and being able to leave it to their kids. The very land that they walk on that supports them, that that provides all the essential life services mm-hmm. to live. It just it I find it irks irksome. If yeah. you truly love and respect all that lives and think of yourself as just one of the types of life, then you find it offensive, just like I found it offensive to sell plants. Mm-hmm. And so people would say, well, how much, you know, do you want to sell that fig tree that you're offering to me, the fig tree start? And I'd say, well, I, I don't want to sell it because I raised it from a little stick, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it's kind of like a friend. I'd feel like a slave trader selling you that plant. And I decided... And it's a good thing because if you if you monetize something you love, then maybe you become more dependent upon the revenue stream, mm. and you might lose some of the love for it. And I love Thank nurturing you. plants, and I want to point out to people listening: if they want to learn how to grow food, you better forget about it unless you want to grow food for cannibals. <laughs> because what you can really do, and this is a Mister Literal thing, and I know that saying to say I want to learn to grow my own food really means that you want to learn to help the food-growing plants that know how to grow tomatoes and apples and such. You want to learn how to help them grow. Mm. And humans don't grow them in as much as they grow themselves because they're this whole other life form Mm -hmm. separate from us, but part of the web too, that if it has the right condition, it just grows. Yeah, and we just nurture it. Right. We, we try to look out for it, make sure the cow doesn't graze it down or the deer, mm-hmm. make sure that the other plant doesn't shade it so it doesn't get enough light, mm-hmm. make sure if you're in an arid environment that it gets irrigated enough to do well. And so, yeah, that's, that's one of my little quirks, as I like to point out. <laughs> no, but I can't grow a tomato, and neither can you. You'll never learn to. Where would you grow it from, you know? <laughs> Your Fingers, <thumb. laughs> right. The earlobe, I don't know. I, and that, then my little funniness is that the only thing I can manage to grow is hair, and not as much as that as I once could. <laughs> Fingernails and old. <laughs> Fingernails and old. <laughs> yeah, I'm growing old, and I think I can do that all right, as, yeah. as is evidenced by my appearance and attitudes. That's funny. Well, it, I, there's a, there's so much in there that I, I honestly really, really loved, especially just um, that concept that, yeah, we, we really just needing to be a, like a part of the planet and a part of this environment instead of trying to dominate and control and own it to whatever that can really ever mean um, and being able to nurture these spaces and, and just be like have that understanding and that elevated consciousness as a species that we are interconnected with all of these plants and all of this life around us. And I think that when we can, um, you know, really understand that and really embody that, then we don't have to accept that nihilistic uh, vision of the future or the, what did you call it? The geological like time scale of the planet. I, I, I actually really sympathize and empathize with what you were saying there. Cause there's been a lot of times where I'm like, it feels hopeless, maybe, right? Maybe the hope isn't springing as eternal that day or whatever. Right. And uh, it's easy to just say, like, well, at least the planet will be fine once it gets rid of us, right? But I think one of the things that kind of helps push me forward is um, a lot of the values that you were talking about, a lot of the things that we can see in humanity and and value and love and decide that we want to nurture those things. Because, like, it's amazing that we can be better, we can, as a species, be better, and we can create systems that 
successfully uh, reward collaboration, sharing, abundance, love, and kindness. We can create these systems, but it's only if we're able to, um, like you said, like release the grip on the transactional systems. Right, and the transactional economies, uh, reciprocity, that's a relatively late development in Mm -hmm. our species, and what kept our species as one of the survival of the fittest species that remained on planet Earth was not our ability to compete with each other and get more one ape more than the other ape, but the ability to collaborate and cooperate and work together in teams for a common objective that benefits the whole crew. Yes. Right. All the, all of them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, you know, Margaret Mead, I think was the name of an anthropologist who her, her assertion is that the first fossil record sign of the, animal species becoming civilized that was not the first tool found in the you know mm-hmm. archaeological or like the pots or it wasn't those it wasn't things. any artifact it was a healed human thigh bone mm-hmm. so that 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 ape had had his peeps or hers mm-hmm. that looked after him brought him water and food while they laid up long enough to heal a thigh bone yeah and all the other apes, if they broke their thigh bone, the other apes would look at it and they'd think, gosh, can't you get down to the water with us? With it? You yeah. know, we're on our way down to go get some food. You can't pull your you coming, right? Mm-hmm. And the one with the broke thigh would just like limp and maybe whimper and, and then off the rest of the apes would go and they, weren't, they didn't have any trace of civilization yet. Mm. So I like to think that I want to be a civilized person and I know there's reason to hope that people can improve and their consciousness can elevate. Because in my opinion, I'm a better person today than I was five years ago or even yesterday. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good objective for us to have is to try to just keep doing better as individuals. And, you know, I've defined doing better as, as, you know, doing things that feel right and living with Mother Earth as opposed to from or on. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, I better put in a plug for one of my favorite. Uh, there's some great men, I think, that I've learned from their words. Mm-hmm. And John Trudell is one of them. John Trudell, he's gone, you know. But he's right there with, I mean, some of the other great uh, thinkers and presenters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and He's the, he's the one who says it's important for human beings to live learn to live with the earth again, mm. not on her or from her. Mm-hmm. With, I love that. Yeah, that's so good. My little tidbits of of you know good thoughts. Most of them I get from my my take on song lyrics or from poems or. Mm-hmm. From art. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. how all human knowledge comes together, right? We all collect all Imagination of it. And, mm-hmm. and art, you know, manifesting imagination, you know, dreams, dreaming, yeah. dreaming out loud. That's a really good set of lyrics. Uh, government mule. I hear they're going to be in town. I'm going nice. to maybe go sit outside the fence, even though it'll keep me up late. It's not usually <laughs> something I do nowadays. But uh, yeah, I want to, I really want to hear them do that piece because. It, the lyric is wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. It, it's so we're getting close to the end of uh, the episode here, but uh, I kind of want to um, 
have you uh, lead us out with uh, the the main focus of this second season is about building community um, and about focusing on how we can reinvigorate community within our society. Um, and so I was hoping you could kind of uh, lead us out of this episode with just um, maybe some thoughts on community and how we can continue to to build our communities and make them more resilient to, I mean, a lot of the systemic problems and collapses that are really on the horizon for us? Well, I guess it depends on the the person or the group of people's nature, mm. uh, what building community, what motivates it, what works, you know, to do that. And it depends on definition of build community, mm. right? So, you know, I, I, guess th- I, can... I say that I look at things as a pragmatist. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I break it down to nuts and bolts. Human beings are animals. They got to, you know, they got to do better at making sure that there's food for everybody mm-hmm. and the food's got to be brought back to a better quality level, mm-hmm. n- nutrient density. And so that, and then that, thinking about what people, what they need, you know, what's part of living. Mm-hmm. Like there's eating, you know, there's the basic needs of animals for them to survive and then some sub needs that with which those met, they can thrive. Mm-hmm. And so I think building community just means, well, I guess it's like some lyrics in both that song Revolution I was telling you about earlier mm-hmm. by Heartless Bastards and in the one I just mentioned, Dreaming Out Loud, there's a line that says silence is not the answer. So if you think that the world's unfair and you think that that motivates you to want to make it more fair mm-hmm. and be more fair to manifest fairness, you know, being balanced, then don't silence is not the answer. Mm. Talk to other people about it for them for the others, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that to build community, fostering a sense of caring about others, about the community, Mm -hmm. and then finding ways where relationship connections can be established and strengthened. Mm -hmm. And there is the relationship that community can participate in of helping agricultural food crop plants grow uh, that so gardens are a good way to build community because it's something that if the community member doesn't have the time to give their love and sweat to it they may still find the time to enjoy it as they just walk by because of the visual beauty that Mm. is brought to the space they may enjoy it by having some of the food that the plants are growing and offering is in their, you know, non-monetized lives. They're just giving out these gifts in the hope that their seed will go farther. Mm-hmm. If plants hope, you know, that's <laughs> the mechanisms in play. The fruit is sweet. So the animal will take it away from the tree. Mm-hmm. So the apple doesn't fall close to the tree in all cases, because the more strategy of plants, the intelligence of plants is to conquer territory, cover more ground. That's, you know, that's, they're all set up reproductively to do that. But people, you know, we've already covered enough ground and we need to 
to refine our our sense of responsibility uh, and duty mm-hmm. to the web that gives us the ability to live and yeah. to be. And it, although it's free to be alive, you know, we, nobody had to pay to get the life into this body. Mm-hmm. It just happened. It's part of nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it it's there's so much that's not, but. Why not work towards making one simple aspect of life more free, mm-hmm. and that's the food. And building community can arise from that. It can arise from art and shared art, shared participation in mutually created art, mm-hmm. like mu- this. music. Hmm? <laughs> like this. <laughs> right, and this could be considered an art form. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought of it as terms of art. I thought of it more as communications. Mm-hmm. And yeah, humans can communicate ideas with each other and... The strict sense of the term meme is just a concept. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have conflated that with one of the vehicles to convey a concept, mm-hmm. as in the graphic with a few words mm-hmm. being a meme. But a meme, in my understanding, is a concept of like a, a, uh, like a paradigm, mm-hmm. right? Or uh, anyway, mm-hmm. so... I think I didn't. Did I answer the question? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You you talked about the ways that we can establish and grow and build community, and then, and then went into further detail on what that looks like and and how it's very needed. So I appreciate yeah. that answer. I appreciate all of your time today because this has been an, an awesome conversation, and uh, I, I I really value these these kinds of discussions. And uh, you know I. It's uh, it's really cool that I was able to kind of like insert myself into, um, you know, that activist space and just start finding more and more people that are uh, actually like thinking along the same lines as me. It was really cool to have the opportunity to sit and chat with you on Earth Day and find out like, whoa, this is cool. There's more people that are that are thinking like this and are and are making active changes in their community um, to to build these kind of ideals. So I really appreciate your time today and uh, appreciate appreciate having you on here sweet sweet thanks so much thank you well friends thank you so much for listening to this episode of the kindness rebellion i hope you saw as i saw that uh tom is full of amazing ideas and uh and just kind of listening to the way his mind works was really interesting for me and being able to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of all these different issues that we're facing and how um, we can move forward as a community, as the Earth community, uh, to really change the way that we live our lives so that we can preserve the web of life. This is such an, imp- an important thing for all of us, and, uh, and it's so easily overlooked. Um, but I know I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I really valued the time that, uh, that Tom gave to me, and uh, I look forward to more amazing conversations and more gardening in the future. Um, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Comment on it. Let us know what you think, um, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much.